Um, it is a long psalm, and so I'm going to ask you to try to do one of two things, or actually maybe two things. Um, if you, I realize there isn't any coloring pages, so if you are younger and it would be helpful for you to, I guess it doesn't even have to be for younger, if you're older and it would be helpful for you to be doing something with your hands while you're listening to the passage, and then even more so while you're listening to the sermon, I would love it if you could draw one of the images. There are some images throughout, and the Psalms are meant to help us actually imagine the images. So if one of these images strikes you as you're hearing me preach or as I'm reading right now, draw it. And then you could even maybe even send me the picture or, you know, have your parents take a picture of it because I love to see it. But even if you're not drawing, um, these Psalms are meant to be imagined. So my request to you kind of to help you be active as you're listening to this long Psalm is to just try to imagine the different images that this Psalm presents us with. There's kind of four different scenes. All right. So our scripture reading is from Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the word of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, where he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still.
and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly. And he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like the upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Would you please join with me in prayer? Father, this psalm calls us to pay attention to your love. And I pray that you would help us do exactly that. That in some way, through our reflecting together, that you would break through our inability to understand and that you would grip us more deeply with the awareness of how deeply you love us and how you are a God who gathers us to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so um, a few months ago, our family started watching and finished watching the first season of a series called The Chosen, which if you haven't heard about it, it's actually a series that seeks to, in kind of TV episodic form, tell the story of Jesus' life. And I have to say, I think I and probably other people in our family came to it with a certain degree of skepticism because our... Uh, our, our cringe tolerance is fairly low. When something is cheesy or unrealistic, it can really bother me, especially about something that matters so deeply to me, right? But I was really pleasantly surprised and uh, would really, you know, recommend it for anyone who'd like to see it. And on reflecting, one of the parts that I think I found most moving and powerful for me was seeing something about Jesus that is very much in the text, but I don't think I ever quite recognized it before. So in this first season, a lot of the a lot of the story is focusing on Jesus calling disciples. And, and you see the backstories that are kind of imagined of what these people were like before Jesus met them. So you see Mary Magdalene being tormented by demonic possession. Her life is in shambles. You see Matthew, a lonely tax collector, who in this is someone who's been shunned by his own family and his only friend is a dog. Uh, you see Peter, an impulsive, passionate fisherman who doesn't have good business sense and his life in some ways is falling apart. And, and in each of these, Jesus comes to them, right? And, and he says to them, follow me. And what, what was striking to me was just this awareness that when he does this, 
This isn't just a command. This isn't just kind of a, hey, I'm, a, I'm busy. I need you to join me. But every time he meets each of these people and he says, follow me, it is an act of love. He is saying, I know you're lost and I want you. And I want to give you life and joy. Come and join me. And what you see is that Jesus is a person who in love gathers. That's, that's who he is. And what that means, and I think this is exactly right, I think that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. What that means also is if we understand that Jesus says, if you look at me, you see the Father. That that is who our God is. That, that our God is a God who in love reaches out and, and gathers people to himself. And that's what he has done for even many of us. So this morning, this passage is actually inviting us to reflect on that very beautiful truth that we have a God who gathers. Uh, perhaps you noticed at the very beginning when it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And give thanks in the, in the Bible really has this idea of reflect and acknowledge before God. Like name the truth and goodness before God. Give thanks and notice who it's specifically being spoken to. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed and gathered in from the lands. It is a call for those who have been gathered to reflect on the reality that that is what God has done. That our God has gathered us. And, and if you notice at the very end, it actually concludes and it says, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. The idea being that if we want to grow in wisdom, if we want to grow in understanding life, understanding who we are, understanding God, we should just spend some time and sit and ponder and internalize the reality that we have a loving God who gets. And, and that's what this psalm does, and that's what I want to do with us this morning. I, I want to suggest to you that this psalm is really written for two groups of people. It is written for people who are lost. And it is also written for people who once were lost, but have been gathered by God. And I want to kind of consider it from both of those angles. Because to begin with, what we should notice in our psalm, beginning in verse 4, is you have four different scenes, different snapshots, pictures, and each of these pictures is a picture of, of someone who is lost. And what the psalm is inviting us to do, and what I want us to do, is to ask ourselves a question. Do, do any of these pictures describe us? Think about that as we're thinking about these four images. The first image of lostness is we see some people are lost in the wilderness. So in verse 4, it says, Some wandered in desert wastes. So uh, over the last couple of weeks, not this past week, but two weeks before that, when I was on vacation, um, I was reading a book that I deeply enjoyed and benefited from by uh, Jamie Smith called On the Road with St. Augustine. And, and one of the things that the book reflects on is kind of what you could say uh, the human wanderlust, the the desire that we have to, to leave home and find something. And, and here's, here's how kind of the book begins. He says, it might be youth. It might be your inferiority complex or the boredom of small town claustrophobia. It might be loneliness. 
It might be the search for a mother or father or yourself. It might be greed or curiosity or escape. It might be a million other reasons, but we all leave. We leave because we're looking for something, for someone. We leave because we long for something else, something more. We leave to look for some piece of us that's missing. And as, as Smith develops this idea, this theme, he speaks of how, as people naturally kind of in life are, are looking or pursuing, especially like in youth, but it continues throughout life, there is at first kind of an excitement about this sense of pursuit, of, of leaving home. And, and we, we notice the, the billboards that attract us, the signs of success that are just along the way, the different stops. We graduate from college. We get our first job. We're in relationships. It's one stop after another. And there's an excitement as we're looking for something. But at some point, at some point, we start noticing that whenever we arrive somewhere and we think that that's the destination we're looking for, right when we get there, we notice soon thereafter, at least, that there are instructions about how to get to the next place. And that's the place that we're actually looking for. So to quote Smith again, just when you think friendship or wealth or family or influence was your ultimate destination, you hang out there for a while and the place starts to dim. What once held your fascination doesn't do it anymore. Fortunately, as you look around, you see the promise of a new destination down the road and so you move on. And so you move on. And at a certain point after we keep on seeing the next thing is what we want, the next thing that keeps on moving us forward, at a certain point, we start just telling ourselves, well, we're not really ever looking for a, a place to land. The journey is really the, the joy. Life is the road, as, as one person has put it. And yet, as we keep looking and as we keep moving, there is a part of us that just gets tired, tired of the fast food, of the rest stops and the cheap motels, tired of always packing and unpacking. There's a part of us that's longing for a home, for a destination that is what we've been seeking all along. And I want to suggest that that's actually what's being described in, in this opening scene. You know, some wander in desert wastes finding no way to a city to dwell in. A city to dwell in just simply is a home. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. They are journeying and they are journeying and they're lost. Do you, do you know what that's like to... To at one point known that you were looking for something, but at a certain point just feeling like you might never get whatever that it is. Some people wander in the wilderness. Well, secondly, we see some people uh, are lost in captivity. We're told in verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death by night they are stuck in a dark prison cell and by daytime we see that they are doing hard labor it says that they're brought down by labor 
day after day. They're slaves. They're captives. Day after day, they awake early and have backbreaking work until night. And then they're thrown into the cell. And the next day, they have backbreaking work until the night. And they're thrown into the cell. And day after day, that's how the picture proceeds. And this isn't always the way it was for this group of people. Notice why they are captive. It says, they are prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. They grew up in a home where God's word was known. They grew up hearing God's instructions. But at some point, they decided that, that what made more sense to them mattered more than what God said. And so they made choice after choice, and one thing led to another. And now, because of their choices, they have found themselves to be slaves. Again, I think this is a metaphor just like with the first image of how our decisions, our, our sin, can trap us and lead us into captivity. So uh, Augustine puts this idea this way. He, you know, he says that we are designed, you and I are designed in such a way that things only work when God is our greatest love. That's how the world is and it's meant to be. And whenever we choose something else, even if it's really good, if we choose that to be our greatest good, it becomes out of order and it does a number on us because we start giving ourselves to whatever that is, whether it's success, whether it's relationships, whatever. And our habits start forming around that. And over time, those habits are daily patterns become more and more necessary, and at a certain point, we are stuck. We're trapped. So it could be that for some of you, there is a tendency to see achievement or success as this thing that you desire above all else, which is a good thing, except when it becomes the greatest thing, then it starts determining our habits. So when we feel stressed or anxious, we just work harder. And, and that becomes more and more our go-to when we're feeling exhausted and stressed and we find our bodies and, and selves more and more worn down, but we can't stop. Our family life is being broken apart, but we can't stop. We're trapped. Or it could be that the thing that we desire more than anything else is just a sense that things are fine and calm and, and enjoyable. We want comfort. And so anytime we find ourselves overwhelmed or anxious, we escape. We escape. Online, Netflix or social media or online pornography. We escape to things that make us feel better, whether it's alcohol or substance or eating. And over time, when that becomes our go-to again and again, we find our lives interrupted. We find ourselves procrastinating, not getting stuff done because we need to escape. Our lives start getting harder and we want to change, but we can't. We're stuck. We can be trapped by relationships, by the way that we can relate to others because of how we view them. We find ourselves again and again coming up against things that don't seem to get any better in a relationship. We can be trapped when we are bitter because of someone who has hurt us and we don't know how to let go. There is a certain captivity that can bring us to our knees. And we are stuck and we are lost. Do you know what that's like? To feel lost being captive to your own decisions. Well, third scene we have is we see people who are lost in despair. It says that because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. 
is just another word for torment or misery. They're miserable. And, and the next verse describes a bit what that affliction is like. They loathed any kind of food. Do you, do you know what that's like? Where nothing, nothing sounds good. I mean, literally, we can speak about nothing sounding good. We don't want to eat anything. But even more beyond that, nothing sounds good. No, no good reason can occur to you why you should even get out of bed in the morning. Everything just feels weary and empty. It gets so bad for this group of people. It says they loathe any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. They are losing, really, the will to live because of just this, well, it's depression. I mean, that's that's how we understand. We, we've, some of us who've been depressed, we know that that's what this is. When you just don't desire to keep going, where there's nothing that's enjoyable, and everything just sounds meh. Now, depression, we know, can be for a number of different causes. There can be depression that's caused by biology. There can be depression that is caused by events like grief. But here, it's, it's a depression that's brought about by choice. Um, it says, some were fools through their sinful ways, which sounds really harsh, but you need to understand that that fools in the Bible doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. You can be a really smart fool. It has to do with our capacity to hear. To hear when God is offering us wisdom and to allow that to change us. A fool is someone who is so set in their ways that whatever makes sense to them is what guides them. That's the idea here. It says fools through their sinful ways. Literally, it's through the pathway of rebellion. At some point in life, they knew God said, go this way, and they said, I'm going to go that way. And it has brought them now to a place where life has no taste, where there is, where there's just a nothing. I was, I was coming across, I uh, came across an article a couple of, um, a few days ago that, that I think expressed this well. It was actually written, I think, in the 90s by someone who knew celebrities well. Um, and here's what she wrote. She, she wrote, I pity celebrities. No, really, I do. Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, Barbara Streisand, they were once perfectly pleasant human beings. But now their wrath is awful. I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then laughs merrily when you realize you want to kill yourself. You see, Sly and Bruce and Barbara, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. And the morning after each of them became famous, they wanted to overdose on drugs. Because that giant thing they were striving for that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness, had happened. And they were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. That's what this is describing, a lostness of despair. Do you have any idea what that's like? Maybe you have arrived at exactly where 20 years ago you had desired to be. And yet you look around and say, is this all that there is? 
you know what it's like to just feel like you don't know what is next, that you are lost in a kind of sense of depression. People get lost in despair. Finally, fourthly, we have an image that's different from the rest, in that as the image begins, there is no hint that these people have any sense of, of sadness. Notice in verse 33, it says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. These are traders, they're merchants, they're, they're profitable, powerful people who are just active and have no sense of any kind of thing to worry about. To me, this is kind of like a, a picture of how I think stereotypical Chicago is, right? Like it's the city of broad shoulders. People in Chicago, by and large, are too busy being productive to have existential crises. Um, they are, in general, maybe too disciplined at times to be worried about being trapped by certain behaviors. There is so much that needs to be done, so much that needs to be accomplished that maybe God is there, but we don't need to think too much about him. And, and that's picture that's being described here of these merchants who are out on the great sea trading, doing important, busy things. They have, they have managed their life. They have a 10-year plan and they know how to execute it. They know how to make sure they're financially secure so that life is going to be fine. They think they're in control. And in just a moment, it is exposed to them how much of a lie that is and how lost they actually are. It says, God commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. Do you know that in a hurricane, I think this is supposed to be a hurricane as an image, the waves can go up to 10 stories high. It can lift a ship 10 stories high, and that's what happened in this moment to these, these merchants who once were so powerful. They're on this ship, and they're up 10 stories high, and they come crashing down, and they come up, and they come down, and in a moment, everything that they thought was so safe is no longer safe, and they are terrified. It says they, they staggered around. They are shell-shocked. It says that they are reeling. It says their courage melted away. Literally, it is their souls melted. It says they're at wit's end, which literally means their wisdom is swallowed up. Everything they thought they were smart about now is nothing. And in that moment, they realize that this whole time they were living a lie and they're lost. Do you know what it's like to feel that way? My guess is you do, because that describes what our last six months have been. Just think about how we felt about things six months ago. We had our five-year plan. We had our financial security. We knew, we knew that we were going to be going on vacation, that graduations would happen, that we would be seeing movies and that kind of thing. And then suddenly COVID brings us up and brings us back down. And the economy brings us up and brings us back down. And riots bring us up and bring us back down. And suddenly we realize how little control we actually have. And how small we are. And for those of us who navigated our life around the idea that we largely could curate and manage our lives, we are suddenly lost. Let me ask again, 
do any of these pictures describe you? In some real way, are you experiencing a lostness? See, the great thing about this passage, you know, people sometimes say that the Bible is complicated. I, I don't think that's quite right. There is a simplicity underlying things. But here, it is absolutely clear what we are told to do if we are lost. Do you notice what happens when each scene says they are hungry and thirsty in verse 5, their soul fainted within them. Verse 6, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. That, that is exactly what's repeated in each poor scene, and that's every time when things turn. They cry. That's, that's what we need to do. We need to cry out. These, these cries probably look different in each context. When the person is just walking in the desert, seeing nothing, there might just be this yell of frustration, crying out to God. When the person is brought low, having just tasted dirt, being exhausted, he probably just in tears was crying out to God. The person who is in despair maybe is just whispering out this half-hearted God. The person who is being brought up and down on the waves is shrieking in terror. God, please help. But each of these are united by one simple thing, and that is there is no dignity. There is no bargaining position. There is no show of strength. All they have to offer in their moment is helplessness. And they just call out to God. And each and every one of those times when they just do this, when they call out to the God that they have ignored, that they have rejected, that they have run away from, each of these times they simply call out in helplessness and God comes. So it says for those who are wandering in the desert, God, after they call out, God comes to them and, and guides them along the way and brings them to a city where they are able to eat and drink and be satisfied. He gathers them home. The ones who are stuck in a prison, it's this almost this action scene when they cry out, suddenly God steps in and pulls apart the chains and cuts the bars in two and blows off the doors and brings them free and gathers them home. To the one who is barely left alive in despair and cries out, God comes and in gentleness speaks to them and gives them life and gives them hope and gathers them home. And to the one that is on the boat and, and crying out in despair, it's a scene that we should be familiar with because what do we see? We see God coming and with that person just speaking to the waves, be still, and the waves are calm them home. Do you see this? This is, it's, it's so simple that I think we actually have a really, really hard time believing it because we, we know what it's like when we've done something wrong with someone else, when we just keep on asking someone else for help and that's the only thing we do and we've not been kind to them, then they're just going to hold a grudge. Why would they help us? And we think that's probably how God is. If we haven't been being faithful to him, maybe we need to do 10 Hail Marys. Maybe we need to give 20% of our income. Maybe we need to do something to get God's attention. And it says, no, cry out. 
Because we need to understand how different God is from us. Our God is the one who way before we even were paying attention to him, was paying attention to us. And way before we even thought about our need for him, he already was sending his son to the world, knowing that his son was going to die and choosing to do that because, well, because he wants to gather people to himself. The really simple, extraordinary promise that God says is all you need to do if you are lost is to cry out to him. The New Testament says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that is, whoever cries out to Christ, whoever cries out to God, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There are no asterisk. There's no, well, you need to do six other things as well, but this is the big thing. No, just to cry out and God will come. And, and to be clear, it's not that God saves us in a moment in a way where nothing's hard after that. I mean, if you've been wandering in the desert for a while, it's a long pathway back. But the reality is that in the moment we cry out, God comes and he will rescue you. And this morning, if you it might be that this morning what God is speaking to you about right now is he is helping you to recognize that you are lost. And he is saying to you right now, it doesn't have to be this way. Just call out to me. Call out doesn't need to be eloquent, doesn't need to be brave, doesn't need to be great. Just hopelessly ask me for help and I will come to you. Because he's a God who gathers in love. Well, I said this passage is actually for two groups of people, for those who are lost and those who once were lost and have been gathered. And actually, if you look at the instructions, it's even the second group that's probably even more the focus. I mean, at the very beginning, it is an instruction to those who have been redeemed, to those who have been gathered, to give thanks and to recount this, right? Or if you look down and, you know, like repeatedly say in verse six, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Those who've been gathered, let them thank, let them remember before God. We could continue on in verse 22. It says, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Or at the end of the next scene, let them extol in the congregation of the people and praise him. And at the very end, like we noticed before, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. The call is for those of us who have come to know Christ to reflect on the fact that our God is a God who gathers. And the reason that we need to do this is no matter what your story is in terms of how you came to place your faith in Christ, your story ultimately can be summarized by these simple words. Our God in love gathered you. So at the very end of our passage after these four scenes, there is this final kind of summary section where it describes things that are true of God. And, and right after you have these four moments, it's a little surprising where it goes. Did you notice? It doesn't say he constantly comes and always helps. I mean, it says that, but that's not where it starts. It says in verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground. Or if you want to skip to verse 40, you see a similar theme. He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. In other words, what it's saying is, 
It's not just that God is the God who rescues the person from the wandering wilderness. He's the one who first made the wilderness that they were wandering in. He's the one who first enabled this lost person to experience just how lost they actually were. I mean, if we looked at the next scene, the next scene speaks of these people who are in captivity. It speaks of God brought them down low. God enabled them to experience the burden of their captivity. Or if we think of the story of the people on the ship, who is the one who commands the waves in the first place? It says God is the one who raises the waves. And and the point is not that God is somehow vengeful, just wanting people to be miserable. No, it is God in love, knowing that the only way to healing is to himself. And so leading people before they even think of him, stepping there and drawing them near to him. And and the point in this is to recognize that God is not just someone who waits on the sidelines, just on tiptoes, hoping that we will call to him. But rather, our God is so loving that he is involved in every step of our rescue long before we even realize. It doesn't matter what your story is. You could be someone who has grown up always having heard the gospel, or you could be someone who just became a Christian five minutes ago. Whatever your story is, your story is one of God gathering you. I I want you to just take a moment, and and right before, we're almost done, but I want you to just take a moment and, and think about your story. If you are someone who has placed your trust in Christ, how did that happen? How is it that 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 you became a Christian and it became what defined you? Just think for a moment about that. Whatever it is, I want you to know that however you tell your story, ultimately, your story is about God gathering. When you first felt the weight of shame about sin, that was God gently whispering truth to you. When you first were overwhelmed by anxiety and realizing that you don't have control of things, God was there opening your eyes to reality. When you maybe as a child or as an adult first heard of the gospel, and when you first began to recognize its beauty and placed your hope in it, that was God opening your eyes and opening your heart and drawing you to himself. Whether you've ever realized it before or not, your story is of the God of the universe gathering you to himself. And what that means, and this is so obvious that I feel almost embarrassed to say it, but it's so important that I'm going to say it anyway. What that means is that your God wants you. He wants you. Just in the same way when Jesus came to Mary and said, follow me, and when he came to Peter in love and said, come with me. And when he came to Matthew, lonely by himself, and says, I want you to be with me. So God in Christ Jesus has come to each one of us. And he says, I want you. I want you with me. I want you to experience my goodness and my love. Our God gathers us to himself in love because he wants us. 
And that isn't going to stop. God has been with us every moment of our lives long before we knew him, and he continues to be present even now, speaking to us and guiding us and, and continuing to bring us home because that's who our God is. And it will always be the case that whenever we find ourselves hopeless or desperate or confused, whenever we've kind of gone the wrong direction, we only need to call to him in helplessness, and he will delight to save us, because he's a God who gathers. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love.